0: Welcome to the American Security Council Protecting Our Freedoms podcast. The mission of the American Security Council is to educate and engage American citizens on national security matters, economic security matters, and the need for moral leadership in the United States of America. Please enjoy the podcast.
1: Welcome to Protecting Our Freedoms podcast. I'm your host, Joy Vacherbeck. New on today's Protecting Our Freedoms podcast with me is Mark Renahan.
2: Welcome Hello, Mark. Thank you, Joy. Hello, everyone. It's great to be here.
1: Mark, can you tell us a little bit
2: about uh, yourself? Sure. I actually have just come from a different podcast. I was the host of the Step Up America Foundation podcast. We were a podcast that celebrated all Americans. Um, from veterans to athletes to musicians, basically just interesting people. Some guests that you might have heard of, we had the Blue Angels on, we had NASA Hall of Fame astronaut Dr. Franklin Chang Diaz on, we had the star of Shock Week Dr. Greg Skomel on so we had a very interesting and a little bit of a different show than this but I do have some background with the American Security Council Foundation. Years ago I was on the board and I have recently started working again and I am looking forward to helping you out with any Podcast that you do, Joy.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much, Margaret. Appreciate being here.
2: No problem, thank you.
1: And we have back with us today Dr. Scott Tilley. He has the technical power on our under position papers on our website. You can uh, view his latest article called Ransomware there. We are going to discuss ransomware today. Welcome back, Scott. Oh, good afternoon,
0: everyone. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, everyone.
1: I believe Mark has a question
2: for you, Scott, regarding ransomware. Well, Scott, I I am going to be perfectly honest and tell you that I am not exactly what they would call technologically savvy. Uh, In any company I have ever worked for, I am the absolute bane of the existence of every IT man. Uh, As Lane, our IT guy here, will tell you, I drive him insane. Um, Now, a lot of people hear of ransomware and extortion, and they're not 100% Certain as to what it is, and I was hoping briefly before we get into the, you know, the meat and the technical aspects of what you do, you could maybe give us just a really brief um, explanation of what ransomware is uh, and, and how we could look out for it, et etc.
0: Sure. Um, well, you think of think of ransomware as literally two words put together: ransom and where, like software, hardware. All referring to something related to a computer. Um. The notion of what ransomware is, is nothing new. In fact, um, it's been in play for over 20 years in the computer world, but the best analogy I could think of is um, kidnapping. So when people actually kidnap someone and they're held for ransom. And the kidnappers, of course, demand uh, payment from the people concerned, whether it's uh, individuals or government, depending on what it is they've kidnapped or stolen for payment, to basically get back those goods, people, whatever it might be. In the ransomware setting, uh, what is being stolen is not people. It's not hardware. It's not jewels or anything like that. Uh, it's something actually, you know, arguably more important these days, and it's data. So it is data, and it's not being stolen because you can't really like, literally lift it out of the computer like you can a person. You know, throw them in a car and race off somewhere. What, what, what happens is hackers are able to enter a corporate network or a government network, a computer network. And they gain access to the computers on that network and the servers that are storing all the data and they encrypt that data. And they encrypt it with a key that only they know. And it's quite strong encryption. So it's not like the average person could go in and, and, and fix the problem. And then the ransom part is they then send you emails saying we've encrypted your data. They might occasionally delete it as well, but typically they just encrypt it uh, simply because it's easier. They don't have to load it and unload it. And they say, if you pay us a million dollars, whatever it might be, we will send you the key so that you can decrypt your data and gain access to it. When the data is encrypted, all your programs that you're used to, everything from word processing to You know, accounting software and uh, personnel management, whatever it might be, it's completely useless because it can't access and manipulate the data uh, because it's encrypted. So that's what ransomware is in in kind of a nutshell.
2: Uh, Scott, so so quick question. Uh, Let's say um, uh, XYZ company, and I have been the victim of ransomware, and as you just stated, uh, you know, they demand payment to unencrypt it. Um, what's to stop them if I am to pay them from saying, yeah, you know what, I've decided I'm not going to unencrypt it, pay me more. Is that something that obviously people have to deal with on a regular basis? They do. Um, um, In this case, there's not a
0: lot of honor amongst thieves. (laughs) So you're never quite sure that you're going to get the right key to decrypt your data. It really is a a, a terrible situation because many, as we'll talk about, many of the organizations – that end up getting hacked um, are not really well prepared from an IT point of view, um, and and they don't really have any choice uh, other than just to, you know, on a wing and a prayer, send the send the payment, and hope that they're going to get the right key to decrypt their data. Now they typically they typically do get the right key, but it, it does happen that you get either no key or the wrong key, and it doesn't decrypt what you're what you're looking for.
1: Um, That just uh, recently happened with Colonial Pipeline, and they they did pay the ransom but did not receive the key.
0: Exactly right. So, Colonial Pipeline is actually the the main example I used in my column in in July about ransomware. And they're the pipeline that provides uh, the main pipeline that goes from the Midwest all the way to the Northeast coast, you know, North Carolina and North, uh, for all of our fuel. And it's amazing when you think that. Most of our fuel for such a densely populated area of our country is, is um, dependent on one pipeline. I mean, we can also ship stuff by trucks and rail and so on, but uh, pipelines are, of course, the most efficient way of shipping fuel. And the, the control system for, for a colonial pipeline was hacked. Now, it was hacked by a group of, of uh, folks that are in, in Eastern Europe likely backed or at least um, let to work if you want by nation states like Russia uh, because it was very very sophisticated and what they what they demanded was five million dollar payment from colonial pipeline so I mean if as an individual you typically wouldn't be getting extorted for five million dollars for your data because you know what do people want your photos on your computer I mean it's typically not that valuable but in this case, it was all the data that was being used to control the pipelines. You know, where the fuel flows and and everything else. Um, And uh, interesting information related to Colonial Pipeline's customers, their contracts, their individual terms of service, which would be different from different people. They said, if you don't do it, not only will we not decrypt your data, we're going to make it public. That's happened, for example, a couple of years ago with Sony. When all of their, uh, many of their contracts uh, between the president of Sony at the time and some of their, you know, top tier uh, talent was made public because they just released it. And it was like, whoa, that really shouldn't be out in the public. (laughs) Um, So in this case, Colonial Pipeline had no choice. They actually did pay the $5 million. Um, Although they were working with the authorities, the FBI and so on. and, And when they got the key, the key didn't work. So they were only able to recover uh, the functionality of the control systems or the pipeline by going through backups. And that brings
1: um, me to my first point. So thankfully, they did have a backup. And were yeah. Able so to get back
0: one backup. thing I mentioned in the article, and I've been I've written about it many times, is backups are never important until you need them, and then they're absolutely essential. <laughs> they're like insurance policies, right? So everyone from individual users to small enterprises to large corporations, uh, I think now more than ever realize the importance of having backups and they've gone through the exercise of recovering from a backup, like physically and you know, on the network. What do they have to do? What does the IT department have to do to basically uh, re- restart the entire system from a backup? And of course that, that's assuming that A there is backup and B, the backup itself wasn't hacked. Which is typically why it's it's wise to have a different company manage your backups for you so that it's not easy for, for one hacker to get into another network. So they may Scott- have compromised you, but not them.
2: Scott, I don't mean to interrupt you, but the, the the way I'm looking at this now is it's almost a two-pronged attack, meaning that someone can seize control of your systems, and then they can say, "If you want the, you know, you want your system back, you're going to pay us." But it also, we will expose what's on your system. And I think to some people that would would be even more of a, like you said, with Sony, they 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 expose all of their celebrities and actors and stuff like that. So it's almost a two pronged attack. And my next question is, I know you're speaking of the, they have to have a key that is delivered to them to open it now. I, I know large corporations and companies obviously would, would hire someone almost like yourself. Um, so let's say I, I'm Mark Renahan and Mark Renahan Industries gets uh, you know ransomware and they are offering me a key. Is there any way that I could contact, for example, you and say, listen, I've just been hit with ransomware and can you come and make that key yourself or are these keys just stuck with the, the, you know, the attackers?
0: So, typically, the attackers that are gonna go after large corporations, they're pretty sophisticated in the sense that the the software they're using to encrypt your data, basically to scramble it, um, uses what are called long keys, they're, they're very long. Imagine you have not one house key, but you've got multiple house keys, you know, on your front door, and you need all the keys to be able to get in. Um, only, there's actually, in, in this whole chain of events, if you want, the, the main people who are hacking you and then approaching you to say, you know you must pay us X number of dollars, they don't always need to know how the system works. They've bought it on the dark web. Other people sell it. It's, it's a whole industry of selling uh, these tools. Um, so they don't necessarily need to know how to work it properly. They just need to know how to install it on your system. Whether or not you could decrypt it, well, unless you're probably a three-letter agency, no. <laughs> you, you really are kind of stuck, uh, which is why uh, I mentioned in the column that you know our, our, our national policy when it comes to you know, kidnapping and terrorism and ransom is that we don't pay ransom. That's our policy. In the real world, of course, different things happen. In the online world, where ransomware occurs, most companies end up paying because it's, a, it's, it's, it's really difficult to be able to decrypt something that's been encrypted using these large keys if you don't have a key. You'd be running your computers like almost forever to be able to decrypt the data. And at, during that time, your whole enterprise is basically stuck, right? We're so dependent on these systems to be working. Um, and you're, we're not talking just things like pipelines. You know, these could be like nuclear power plants, schools, hospitals, library systems. I mean, you name it.
2: Uh, that my, my next question w- was going to be: um, Does do the does the country? You know, so so let's like you said, uh, a threat could be you know if somehow ransomware was done to a Pentagon or an institute like that. Does the United mm-hmm. States have a we don't you know i know we don't negotiate with terrorists do we not negotiate with ransomware or is that on a case-by-case basis
0: it's a bit of both um it's one of those things that we're not probably it's very likely we're not going to make public how we deal with it um it is definitely a national security issue for sure right now um uh, the current administration has a, a new task force related to ransomware uh in addition to our cybersecurity command and you know for a variety of other agencies that are. know kind of working behind the scenes and thank goodness they are (laughs) Um, you know one of the largest purchasers however of ransomware is a kind of a form of software that is sometimes called malware as in you know bad software malware and as I mentioned uh, a lot of these programs whether or not they're viruses um, you know, that'll go, go around your network and erase your data or hold it for ransom by encrypting it. it is under this big umbrella of malware. And as I said, if you poke around enough, and I don't suggest you do it, but if you poke around enough on what is called the dark web where all these things are uh, bought and sold, one of the biggest purchasers of them are is the U.S. government because they buy them to keep them off the market.
2: Well, thankfully, Scott, I can barely get into my email, so I will not be poking around any dark webs. <laughs> Th- that being said, Scott, we here at the American Security Council Foundation, we believe in peace through strength, obviously. It's it's our motto here. I was curious, wh- who do you think, if you were, let's say you were Scott and you were with the North Koreans or, or an enemy of America, I don't want to throw out. What's something that they could attack that would make you, Scott Tilley, incredibly worried uh, for our country's safety? Meaning, could they attack a uh, you know our electrical infrastructure? Could they attack um, something that might control our satellites? What do you think? And, and by the way, if you can't talk about this, and I, I apologize, I don't know all mm-hmm. of the uh, security protocols. But what to, to you or, or to the average American citizen? What would be the biggest issue to worry about, and what would be ransom attack that I, that I, I would be concerned with?
0: It's a very good question. I'll, I'll try and answer it
2: as much as I can in general terms. <laughs>
0: um, I would say things like the power grid would be one. Um, I mean, we're, we're in Florida, sweltering in the heat. Imagine that you have, you know, when we get hit by a hurricane and we lose power for a week. It immediately becomes like Lord of the Flies around here you know people swarming Walmart and getting trying to get water and going nuts with, I'll remember all the gas stations don't work think about everything that relies upon the power grid right now it literally is everything in our life hospitals and although we have backup systems you know diesel generators and what have you they eventually run out so if they were able to um, attack something like the power grid it would be terrible um, other things you, you you kind of mentioned, for example, our satellites. Well, that would knock out and disable, for example, all of our GPS systems, both, both civilian and military, or some of them anyway. Um, I mean, that would be an inconvenience. Uh, for some companies, it would be an absolute necessity, like trucking companies and so on. Um, so it's, it's basically our, our fundamental infrastructure, which unfortunately is the most vulnerable uh, because it's they're not security hardened enough yet. and almost almost everything these days is connected to some network. and if it's God. on a network, Sorry. it can be hacked. Okay, it doesn't matter hardware. what people will tell you that oh it's you know we're totally secure, you're not. There's always someone who has enough knowledge um, uh, or wherewithal or insider knowledge or connections uh, to be able to get in. It goes, so you think of all the way back to the Middle Ages, and you know, when one country laid siege or a king laid siege to another king's castle, and you had a moat around the castle, and you had all these you know, boiling oil and all the other stuff to try and protect it. But the easiest way in the castle was actually to pay someone and bribe them and get in through the back door, right? Then you don't, why fight when well, you can just walk in? Unfortunately, a lot of the things related to um, cybersecurity are the same. I would refer you to a classic book by Kevin Mitnick on um, what is called um, uh, basically social engineering. If you want to get into a into a network, pick up the phone and call someone in the company and pretend you're, you know, their bank or their whoever, and say, "By the way, we just need your PIN number to get in." And boom, they're in.
1: Uh, Scott, Why hack it when well, you me? can
0: just talk on the phone?
1: Scott. <laughs> yes. Oh, there. I got. hear me. I'm sorry to interrupt, but you had said about Florida. For example, and uh, Mark, I don't know if you remember, but in Oldsmere, Oldsmar, I think it's called, over near Tampa, recently they had tried to hack into their water system. And the guy that was operating it, thankfully, saw the mouse literally just moving without him.
0: Yeah, so that was a a very, very low-tech hack. It was actually from a a kid in the Tampa area who was hacking into a relatively small, uh, um, water supply system and filtration system. But what he was able to do was change the chemical mix of the filtration system to in- to dramatically increase the amount of lye, L-Y-E, mm-hmm. that is used to uh, purify water, which went from making the water drinkable to making it toxic. And that was about to be released, and that's just here. It was all because the water company had a software system installed on their control panels that allowed managers to remotely access the system. So when they're traveling or they're at home or whatever, to be able to basically change the controls on it as if they were sitting in front of it. Now that kind of software is very, very common. Um, But when it's being used over an uh, almost an open network and a very easy way to um, crack the, the initial password, then if that one guy by chance hadn't seen the fact that this kid was manipulating the system, uh, many people would have been sick or, or died. So that's an example of, if you think about that and you extrapolate that across our entire country, how many places are doing water and, um, you know, uh, as I said, electricity, the grid, all, all kinds of parts of our fundamental infrastructure are all now networked. And if they're networked, they're hackable.
2: Well, Scott, that's my next question. So in today's, you know, completely technological world, I know that there are things like, for example, the Zoom camera that you would see, you know, people have with their front doorbell. Um, I know, like, video games. My nephews love to play their video games. These are all connected wirelessly um, to the Internet. I know, like, a smart TV can ransomware, is it sophisticated enough, and I'm assuming that there are people who are sophisticated enough, that can use those systems to, to maybe even hack, you know, just your neighbor's house, for example. Could they hack into a Zoom camera, hack into their wireless um, and seize control and things like that, or is it more basically just for larger corporations?
0: Well, it's a bit of both. It uh, depends on the scale and the nature of the people who are doing the hacking and what, you know, what their goals are. But uh, one of the examples you gave are those doorbells like Ring from Amazon and others. Um, Yes, those have been known to have multiple security vulnerabilities. So therefore, they're relatively easy to hack if you have the right tools. Um, So why would you want to hack someone's doorbell, for example, or their inside security cameras? Well, it's been done to harass people, um, to take over their inside camera and start saying, Oh, I, by the way, I've seen everything you've been doing in your bedroom, and I'm going to post it if you don't, because you put it in there maybe because you know you wanted to watch it for babysitting purposes or something, Then it captures everything. Um, the police, in fact, rely on the fact that some of these things are hackable to get information of what's happening on the outside road, because if you look at the average neighborhood, wherever we live here in Florida, you know, a huge number of people have doorbell cameras on their front door, and they're used in... In the aggregate as kind of a surveillance system usually by the the owners say okay you can use it because after all you want to catch the bad guys um, but the, the broader problem you're describing here is, is sometimes called the internet of things or iot and the internet of things are basically connected devices that are connected to the internet doorbells um, cell phones televisions cameras um, and the reason why this is giving hackers more opportunity to get into our homes and our businesses is that many of these devices are are developed um, not here developed in china and other places and they're developed by companies whose their focus is not security it's not on good software engineering and computer science it's making relatively cheap hardware which we then sell here and it rarely gets updated they're usually hard to update uh, especially for the average person, I mean, when's the last time you did a firmware update for your router? Like, Never. Right. Exactly. Back. Right. It's like, what's a firmware update? Exactly. Um, so once there's a known vulnerability, it's easy to exploit it and continually exploit it because these pe- these pieces of hardware and software together in a device aren't updated. Um, I think the last time I counted actually went up to. I think I, I have now fifty four. <laughs> Internet-connected devices in my home.
1: (laughs) I think we talked about that last time. And I think Americans have um, that need for convenience, and they like that convenience. um, Mm -hmm. But it also puts us um, in a bad spot, as well as these managers, like you were talking about with the Oldsmiller case, that are able to remotely access um, the water system. And now with the pandemic, many people working from home need to access. So that makes us vulnerable.
0: Yeah. So I would suggest for everyone who's listening, just think about it. Just write down on some paper. Walk around your home. Think about what. How many devices do I actually have that are connected to your either a cellular network because that's hackable too, or like your Wi-Fi router that comes from Spectrum or who, whoever it might be, you know, your your Dish or whatever it might be. So there, there's even been cases where people are have hacked into their thermostat, and so, so I'm going to set I'm going to set your house at 99 degrees unless you pay me.
2: That, yes, that, in Florida, that's unacceptable. <laughs> I would pay you anything you want, <laughs> Scott. So Here is a question I have. I'm, I'm, I'm. You know, Joe Q. Public. I just listened to this podcast, and suddenly I'm a little concerned about ransomware and that my Ring camera might get whatever. Yep. Are there any simple steps that you could recommend to the average citizen who might be listening on how to secure their, you know, their wireless network? I know, obviously, you have you know, your passwords and you can change them. But is there anything that people might not realize that you might know that you could recommend?
0: Well, you mentioned passwords. So so almost all homes now um, have, let's say I'll use mine as an example. So my internet access comes from my cable company, which means I basically have two devices that are the the portal, if you want, between my home and the outside world. That is the modem, which is connected to the cable, and then the, uh, the Wi-Fi router, which you know, is broadcasting the wireless signal. And both of those devices uh, ship with default passwords. Right? It's usually something as silly as admin. So ID is admin, password is admin. And people know this. And you know, if you're talking to your grandmother or something, say, well, grandma, go online, go to the browser, go to this address, change the password. At that point, it's like, what? I have no idea. And typically, when the companies come and install this stuff, they don't change it. So it's up to the user to be able to do it, or call some I, you know, call your grandchild, call some IT service, <laughs> call someone who knows how to change the password. So that this is basically the lock on your front door. That's that will be the analogy. Without changing that password, you basically are leaving your front door unlocked all the time, even open, um, because the same password is used on these literally millions of devices. So number one would be to do that. Uh, The second would be probably the the way most of us buy things these days, and that is based on reviews, right? When you go online, uh, other people's experience with whatever the product might be really influences whether or not you're going to buy it or not. And if you read enough, you might start seeing news stories or news articles um, about whether or not these devices were hacked and where they're coming from. So many of these devices like doorbells and so on, um, I would trust more from coming from large companies than small companies that I've never heard of uh, because it's likely that they are totally open. I wouldn't do that either. The third thing I just wanted to mention that's not quite related to protecting yourself and that is um, when you're in, in ransomware, when you're paying the ransom, You're typically paying in a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin. And the reason why, of course, the bad guys do this is that things like Bitcoin and Ethereum and there's a pile of others um, are untraceable by design. So the FBI was able to get back some of the five million dollars that Colonial Pipeline paid. But in general, um, it's, it's untraceable and it's gone. Um, which is why the, you know, the baddies like it because it's not exactly going to be reported on their 1040. It's just you know, it's illegal money that they're basically laundering using Bitcoin uh, to fund other activities. And eventually at some point, in some, we'll call it a understanding country, allows them to you know, convert it back to an actual hard currency. So there's another problem related to this ransomware, and that has to do with how things are paid,
1: that was a good question, Mark, because when this is protecting our freedom, so with the average person needs to understand how to protect their um, passwords and different things that are connected at home, Internet of Things, as you say. Yeah. Um, and the cybersecurity, or I'm sorry, cryptocurrency, that's becoming a little more uh, common even to the average American these days, so mm-hmm. do you see um, any regulation coming out of this?
0: Well, a number of countries have talked about formulate a- uh, formalizing and regulating cryptocurrencies, a number of companies now allow you to—you know—you can even buy real estate in, in Bitcoin if you want. We've been able to do that for a couple of years now. Um, I think it's coming, but I don't think we're, it's quite ready yet, uh, because obviously, um, you know, federal agencies would like to be able to track and control um, uh, cryptocurrencies like you know, like the U.S. dollar or other baskets of currencies that we use to evaluate and measure, you know, the relative worth of each nation. You know, after we got rid of the gold standard, the value of our currency is only relative to some other country's currency and our inherent wealth. Cryptocurrencies are not like that at all. They're, they're completely different. Um, their wealth, actually the relative value has to do with algorithms that are run on computers to be able to generate new, like say Bitcoins. Uh, which is why you have many really old uh, old cities that were like mining cities, especially ones that are up north. They're now converted to what are called digital mining operations to, for all these computers to churn out new Bitcoins. Because every single day it gets harder and harder and harder to be able to create one coin. And of course, it's not a physical coin. It's just a, a monetary unit. So there's no doubt uh, that many governments, ours included, are looking into uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, but um, I, I don't think the general public is quite ready for them yet. I personally have uh, have avoided them completely.
2: So, Scott, I have I have another question for you, as we are about protecting our freedoms here, and th- this just hit me, um, and and I hope I'm I'm going to be wrong on this, but could a ransomware attack happen against our military? Meaning, could the Army have its, you know, I don't not 100% how it works, but could the Army, the Navy, or more importantly, like the Space Force have their system ransomware attacked and frozen and, and leave our forces obviously not completely incapable, but I know that without, you know, GPS, without the different tracking systems, without the targeting systems, we would be reduced to, you know, obviously we still have tanks, guns, bullets, but... Is that something that an enemy of the United States is probably looking at? I'm sure our, our military is prepared for that. But it, w- would that be, a, 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 for lack of a better term, would that be a great target if I, if I was an enemy of the United States of America? I mean, I have to imagine if I could somehow freeze the United States military network, um, that that would, you know, leave us very vulnerable to attack. Is, is that something mm-hmm. that, you know, A, people should be worried about, B has been looked into already. I just was wondering if you could touch base on that briefly.
0: Great well, again, I can, I'll try and do it generally, not specifically. Um, it's definitely something that um, the military and our government agencies are well aware of and are actively defending against. Um, the difference is, so the short answer is yes, it could happen and bad things could happen unless we're defending well against it thankfully most of our military systems are hardened uh, in that sense that they have a much more layers of security involved in both the process and the hardware and software than maybe some of our commercial enterprises because the uh, the results of hacking into you know missile command or something are, uh, would be uh, terrible the challenge, however, is that in, in a, in a cybersecurity setting, the defenders, and that would be, for example, our military, trying to make sure that no one gets into our network, um, have to, they have to work 100% of the time. The attackers only have to succeed once, and, once, and then they're in. So it's, it's an asymmetrical um, challenge and attack. And the other difference, of course, is compared to previous versions of conflict, is you know if you wanted to attack uh, you know, some aspect of the U.S. military, you had to do it with comparable hardware and personnel. Now you just need a couple of people sitting in a room and you know anywhere in the world with an internet connection. So the costs of doing it are almost nothing. And if they don't get in one time, just keep hammering and hammering, which happens to our institutions every single day. Um, we've learned to kind of deflect them, but. It's, it's just so cheap to be able to try and get into them from, from afar. So all of these attackers, whether they're nation states um, or, um, you know, sophisticated little groups like the ones who attack Colonial Pipeline, um, they can be sitting anywhere with a good internet connection. And we can't actually, sometimes you can't even identify where they are, but if you can, um, I'm not sure, it's not clear what to do about them other than launch your own counterattack against them on a cyber level.
1: You, Scott, you jumped right ahead of me because I was going to ask you that, um, circling back to your Biden administration's uh, ransomware task force, what are your thoughts on the task force option uh, to hack back or disrupt cybersecurity security attack gang?
0: Yeah, so hacking back is kind of like, you know, using the same tools that they're using against us backwards. Um, and for a company, Probably would be reluctant to do that because they may be opening themselves up to all kinds of weird um, legal implications. Uh, for a nation state or a government organization, they may choose to do it. Um, but one of the downsides of that sort of defense, if you want, um, is that because it's so easy uh, for these other for the attackers to get into your net into a network, what's to say if you if you start poking them. Uh, they'll just go to some some other part of your enterprise, your organization, and do the exact same thing again. Because sometimes um, it's unclear uh, how they got there. It's unclear how long they've been lurking in your network. Um, the the solar winds example we talked about a couple of months ago. Um, you know they were lurking there from March to December, and no one knew. Eventually. SolarWinds was a hack this is called a supply chain hack and they weren't doing much but they were just watching it's like lurking in the network and watching all the data go back and forth but uh, the hack was installed I think in March and only only detected in December and it affected over 18,000 organizations I mean a huge number including many of our three-letter agencies including like the Department of Justice Um, and they could have been doing a lot worse than simply watching and you know copying data. They could have disabled the systems, just in a true um, ransomware attack. And the irony is, the company that finally identified this large-scale intrusion was themselves a security company who had been hacked. One of our leading yeah, security companies.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of irony there. Thank goodness they had a lot of good people there. But it still took that long. So you might ask, you know, Mark asked, you know, could our systems be infiltrated now? Well, for all we know, some of them might already be. They, they're really getting quite sophisticated in terms of detecting, um, you know, sort of these anomalies in the, in the network. I don't think it's something that the average person should stay awake at night worrying about because we, we pay a lot of people to do that for us. <laughs>
1: But Mark yeah. up brought up a good point about our military, and, and, and you did as well, Scott, saying that this is kind of a new new age. It's a hybrid warfare, if you would say, or gray mm-hmm. zone, where we don't know all the time exactly where to pinpoint where it's coming from.
0: Yep. So, so it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. You don't need a giant army, and you don't need all the, you know, the hardware. As I said, uh, some of the attacks that we know of that were coming uh, previously were coming from one building in Shanghai. Few guys working away there, the other side of the world, um, and having a large impact on a lot of different like, finance, uh, financial institutions. Yeah. And it's, so it's a lot cheaper because it's, it's what's sometimes referred to as asymmetrical warfare, right?
2: Well, let me ask you in a, in a more humor, I guess, type of question here for you, Scott. Um, Disney World, Scott, of course, a Florida attraction that we all know and love. I believe a lot of their systems are probably linked online. Is is could ransomware get in and, and shut down Space Mountain when I'm about to go on a roller coaster dip? Or, or do you think that that's possible? I, can they literally get into anything that's connected to the internet? So, I have
0: to be careful about answering this one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about Space Mountain or or Disneyland in <laughs> particular. Um, you know, Disneyland, I do know is I know some folks who work there and I've, I've seen sort of the back end, if you want, of it. Um, they're pretty sophisticated on how they control uh, their stuff. What, you know, sometimes when it looks so easy and so much fun, you know, the one, the happiest place on earth, behind the scenes, there's a lot of work going on to make that look like it's very easy, but it's actually not. But... Uh, The bottom line, however, is that anything that is on the Internet can be hacked. So, as I said before, the the analogy would be, all you need is one person in there that says, you know what, I'll give you $100,000. Can you just give me your administrator password? Okay. There you go. Bing. In.
2: Wow. Interesting. All right. One last question for you. I hear you've mentioned the uh, three-letter agencies, and I don't know if this is an answerable question. Is there one particular three-letter agency that deals with ransomware the most over others or are they all just jumping on board
0: there's multiple agencies it depends on uh, the fbi would be one example of course because um, especially for domestic stuff uh, nsa for international um, issues Um, you know one of the big problems with ransomware and when you put it together with bitcoin is that um, our jurisdiction is limited if these guys are doing the hacking from somewhere in Eastern Europe, under the umbrella of protection of some nation state over there, it's not like we can send agents over, you know, to knock on their door and arrest them. I mean, we do have you know, things like Interpol and other, you know, extradition treaties and, and a variety of other things, um, but unlike you know actual kidnapping and uh, you know actual physical attacks, these sort of things are are it's still kind of like the Wild West. Um, so our ability to deter these things it really comes down more to defense than going after them and, and trying to prosecute them. Until all countries are, you know, agree to some sort of um, uh, agreement, if you want, on on why these things are dangerous. But the countries that tend to harbor these are are doing it because they know that it's a lot cheaper than actual uh military might you just need some really smart people and you know in other parts of the world there's some people are there are a lot of smart people (laughs) and they're incentivized of course because you know maybe their economy's bad but they're really good hackers programmers whatever it might be
2: all right scott so speaking of.